<laughs> wow. It, it's so good to, to be here tonight and to, uh, to be back home. Um, my name's Matt. I'm a recovering addict. So, um, and if uh, it were not for this place, I uh, probably would not, uh, I know I wouldn't be married. Um, <laughs> Um, that's the truth. I, uh, I don't know where I would be. I wouldn't be a dad, uh, the dad that I'm a trying to be, and I, I would not probably be alive. Um, and so I, I thank God for that, that song that was just mentioned about faithfulness, um, that no matter what we've done, where we've been, where we've gone, that nothing can snatch us out of the love of God's hand, right? I mean, what if we believed that that was true? Like, what, what if that was the truth, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? It is true. <laughs> but often, I don't know if you, I have spiritual amnesia, right? I mean, I forget things, easy. And I'll walk down the roads of resentment and my own defenses, and I'll even be in a 12-step meeting this week looking at the, the six-step um, I'm resisting the stuff I've got to do to remove the wreckage of my presence, right? And I can have spiritual amnesia thinking that it's easier to walk around with the resentment than to soften my heart. What the hell? Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> right? I mean... <laughs> and, and so... And so nothing can separate us. And I think that's why we need community. That's why I need a place like Mercy Street. That's why we need each other. Um, and so um, I just I feel such a joy to be back and to be, uh, to be with you all tonight and to be able to share some of this stuff. So um, I'm going to talk out of a, a chapter out of Mark. I don't know if, um, if it's on a slide. Did that, y'all got the scripture? Can I, can I read it? Will it go? Oh, look at that. It's a magic. All right. This is it. This is Mark 1, 29 through 34. Um, directly on leaving the meeting place, which is like the big church house in, uh, in, in the New Testament, they came to Simon and Andrew's house, accompanied by James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed, burning up with fever. They told Jesus. He went to her, took her hand, and raised her up. No sooner had they, the fever left than she was up fixing dinner for them. That evening... After the sun was down, they brought sick and evil-afflicted people to him. The whole city lined up at his door. He cured their bodies and the tormented spirits. Because the demons knew his true identity, he did not let them say a word. <laughs> but part of what I've been wondering about over the, um, the last couple of weeks is, um, what does it look like um, when God gets a hold of us? Like, what's it supposed to look like, right? Like, when we surrender our life and our will to the care of God in the um, best way we can, if we can do that consistently, I mean, I got about five minutes a day I can do that. <laughs> but if we could do that consistently and we continue to open up our life and we continue to surrender, what's it supposed to do to us? What's it supposed to affect within us, right? 
I kind of wanted it to be like playing a, a country and western song backwards, right? You know, you get your car back, you get your dog back, you get your truck back, you know. <laughs> if addiction's going to take everything, then doesn't surrender give it all back to you? Right? And that's kind of like this cosmic Coke machine that we want God to be. I mean, I've been sober for three hours. Where are the blessings? <laughs> right? Um, or, I've been sober for three years. Why do I still struggle with depression? Or, I've been sober for 20 years. Why can't I let go of this resentment? Does that make sense? And so... Um, I've been wondering, what does it look like if you and I surrender our life and our will to the care of God consistently? That's a posture, and that's something that we like a, a practice and a muscle that we develop so that we can just say, not my will, but your will be done. What's it supposed to do in us? I grew up in a in a super Christiany place, the church. I mean, I was like, like I was conceived probably in the parking lot of the church, right? I mean, just we were never not near church, and so we're just in church all the time. Um, and um, I, I kind of thought my church, growing up in the shadow of all that, I thought, well, I guess it's supposed to affect who I vote for, you know, my my political um, um, affiliation. That that's that's what God cares about. Well, I guess it's supposed to help me feel a little uh, less terrible about myself. Is that what it's to do? I, I think maybe some of those things might be true or might not be true, but I'm wondering at the end of the day, what, what does it mean to surrender? What does it mean to develop that posture so that we can be in conscious contact with God in a way that we know that even when we're um, beginning to step out, we can step back in. Even when we begin to feel that um, maybe the demon of that addiction come, and we have said, I'm not going to call anybody, we decide I'm going to pick up the phone, I'm going to pick up a thousand pound brick of a phone, and I'm making the call. I'm going to ask for help. Why? Because I'm worth it. I'm going to ask for help because this, this thing that we do called life um, is meant to be done together and in community. It's a freaking team sport, right? I, I hear it in my program. It's a we program. It's not a me program. I get addicted. We get sober, right? And so then we come to Christianity and we think, man, it's just me and God. Whoever's telling you that is a lie. It's a lie. We need each other. Part of this, part of this work that we do with each other is that we might um, develop the capacities of vulnerability, of honesty, of working alongside of each other. And so there's going to come a point, I think, in each of our lives when we ask this question, um, what, what, is it, what is it to do? What is this relationship to God, with God to do? Um, and I think even at Mercy Street, asking that question collectively, what does it mean for all of us to get together? What does God want collectively from us? Right? I mean, we're at this inflection point with this, like, this woman that we just loved who was our pastor forever. Uh, Melissa is moving on, and we're about to receive a new pastor. What does God want from this place? What happens when a collective group of people say, not my will, but your will be done? What happens? Right? 
I, I think it's more than just um, some shifts in our internal feelings about things. I think that God's up to creating a new world order, a new community of people. I think that what God wants to do in a place like Mercy Street with broken-ass people like you and me is that he wants to create, that's a Greek term, broken-ass people. That's, a, that's in the, uh, right? that, is, that is just called disciples in the New Testament. Um, okay, um, um, and what God wants to, stay with me, um, I think what God wants to do is, uh, is taking broken folks like us, and this is what uh, the New Testament says, that in these jars of clay that have cracks in them, that's not just how the light gets through, that's how God displays His glory. And so we come to this place often thinking um, um, our addiction has ruined us, and we begin to see, no, our mess becomes our message, right? The wreckage of our past, if we don't, um, as the promises say, we're not going to turn our backs on that. It's going to teach us something. And as I heard recently, it wasn't done to me, it was done for me. And that in that place, this, this God that creates out of nothing, that, that speaks over the chaos of life, and begins to speak over our chaos, and what does God want to do in a place like Mercy Street? And so I think over and over again um, in the life of Jesus in the New Testament, it's this revolution that begins to unfold. It's this display of this guy that is totally connected in conscious contact with God. And is just saying at, at, at every breath that he can, is, is living into that, not my will, but your will be done. And as, as Jesus does that, this new thing begins to happen. This new community gets built. And so Jesus shows up and he begins to heal people. And in the text that we read tonight, that I read tonight, he's healing people and he's casting demons out. Right? Like, like something happens when Jesus shows up. Right? Something happened when love comes to town. <laughs> right? Something happens when we stand in front of the mirror and we say, I'm done. Whether you've got eight hours or eight days or 80 years, something happens when love shows up and says, um, it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to do this anymore. And that's how love will always show up. Love will not show up in shame and shame you to a better part of yourself. Love will always come and whisper in your ear, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, let's get the heck out of here. <laughs> and then all we have to do then is just be willing, and sometimes just be willing to be willing to do the next right thing, to take the next step, to pick up the phone, to say, I can't, you can. To get honest with ourselves about the exact nature of what we have been doing. It's important that those practices for our own liberty. And so we come into this place and we come into the gospel and we see that Jesus is healing people and that he's casting demons out. 
And that in the middle of this, what he's doing is creating a new world order. He comes into first century doing this stuff. And I, I think it's really, um, um, it's really interesting that in the, um, in the first part of, of Mark's gospel, um, the authorities start getting pissed off at Jesus. They're not mad at Jesus because he creates a health clinic and he's giving out Big Macs, right? Nobody, ain't anybody going to get mad for anybody for creating a free health clinic and handing out food. And so what's happening, what is happening in the healings and in these, these stories of the demons, these powers that are greater than other people that have dominance over people that Jesus is freeing folks up from, what's happening here? I think there's a couple of things. I just want to be short tonight about this one. Um, um, I think that when you get into a, a, a space of healing, and, and like the demonic and healing are these characteristics in the New Testament that have to deal not just with individual people, Right? Not just my sickness, my addiction. But Jesus rocks into town and says, there's powers and there's principalities in this world that have to be dealt with. Right? It's not just about my individual problem. I've got a family system that's full of problems. I've got a culture that there's a culture that's full of problems. There's a world that's full of problems. There's an issue about power and dominance and control. So Jesus shows up in the world and begins to, um, he begins to set people free. But people he's setting free are the folks that the authorities say shouldn't be touched. They are the untouchables. The first person to mark he touches and he heals is, his, is Peter's mother-in-law, which uh, might be a miracle for any of us who have mothers-in-laws, that that be the free, you know, but that, that's not the miracle, all right? I'm just saying that's not the miracle. <laughs> the miracle is that here's Jesus touching a woman that's not in his family system, that's on the eve of Sabbath, so he's breaking a rule, a religious rule. And he sets her free, returns her dignity to herself. And we begin to see the healing in the New Testament is not just about individual medical stuff that's wrong with me. But it's this whole apparatus in the New Testament that says if you get sick, there's something wrong with you. There's a problem with you. People all the time would ask, who sinned? They brought this little boy to Jesus one time who was blind. And they said, they asked the question, not can you heal this, uh, this blind boy? They asked this question, who sinned? Why is this boy born blind? Was it his mother or father? Was it his grandparents? Who sinned that this boy would be born blind? If you couldn't have babies in the New Testament, it was thought that God had cursed you. That God had shut your womb those of you who long for babies maybe know what that feels like. But all of these illnesses were really about a social isolation that had to do with shame, had to do with the denigration of a human being, had to do with something is wrong with you. And so Jesus shows up in a culture that's divided people up into holy and unholy, to those that have gotten it right and to those who have gotten it wrong. And everything is in all of these categories. And who is the maintenance of those categories is the religious center of the universe, the, 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 the synagogue, the temple. 
You give religion enough power, it will tell you what you can do and not. It will begin to distort your view of God. And some of us have come into programs like um, AA, NA, or any of the other A's with a deeply distorted view of God. And some of you have been encouraged by your sponsors to fire that God because that God's mean. Right? Some of you have adopted um, an idea of God that is more akin to your father who is abusive or your mother who is mean. And you have, um, um, you have increased the idea of that and that is your God and you're afraid. This is what Miser Eggart, this old dead dude, says about God. Any idea of God that does not bring you comfort is a lie. Let me say that again. Some of y'all may need to tattoo this somewhere on yourself. Any idea of God that does not bring you comfort, any idea of God that shows up and says, like the church lady, which I love, well, well, well. <laughs> any idea of God that shows up and begins to use shame in your life, to keep you chained to a smaller sense of your own self is a lie. And so there's something about our um, ideas of God that have got to be transformed. And only love can transform these ideas. Only experiences of love. Does that make sense? That's why, that's why for those of us in the program, not stalling out in the fourth step is super important. Like doing the fourth, fifth, and sixth step is really important. Uh, when I first went through my fourth step, I was scared, spitless. Um, I, I was just afraid because I knew the wreckage. I knew what I had to, 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 to write. I knew what I had to say. I was afraid. And when I did my fifth step and all that stuff came off of me, I realized that I had believed a lie. That if I said these things... I wouldn't be acceptable. If, if, if somebody else knew the exact nature of my own struggle, it would diminish me. All of that was a lie. It gave me my life back. It gave me community back. It gave me friendships with other folks back. It allowed me to understand that one of the most important spiritual disciplines that any community could have is vulnerability. That we become vulnerable with each other. Does that make sense? That we share what we're struggling with. That, that, that what, what Paul says is bear one another's burdens. I mean, carry your own load. You've got a load that you've got to carry that you can't shove off to other people. But we have to bear each other's burdens. We've got to walk with each other. Ram Dass says it like this. At the end of the day, all we're doing is just walking each other home. That's all we're doing, Right? And so the spiritual life is about finding the hands of each other next to us and walking each other home. So Jesus shows up in these villages and he begins to heal people, not just of their biomedical issues like I got a cough or COVID or cancer. God will do that. Jesus does that in the New Testament. The big illness is the social isolation. The big illness is the shame. 
The big illnesses, all of the categories that get cut up into a thousand different places and places you over here and other people over here. And Jesus shows up and erases every line that might separate us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And the, the scripture says that I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's interesting to me that the first demon that ever shows up in the New Testament is in a church. <laughs> this demon shows up right before the text that we wrote. And, 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 and in the middle of the, the, the synagogue, notices who Jesus is and says, What do you have to do with us? Are you here to destroy us? Chad Meyer says that where Jesus heals, who Jesus heals, how Jesus heals, the location of that is super important because Jesus is dealing with powers and, and principalities as well. And so in the middle of the church, this dude stands up, not just with a mental um, um, illness possibly, but there's a power that is involved in the whole religious structure that's afraid of letting go. And this demon says, are you here to destroy us? <laughs> because often religion gets a hold of us and begins to shame us and tell us where we can go and not go, what we can do, who we are and not. And in the middle of this, the very love of God says, I know who you are. You are mine. So what is it supposed to look like if we surrender our life and our will to the care of God in this place as much as we can, as consistently as we can? That the heart of this is what God, I think, wants to do is to create a new community of people in our own brokenness, with our own pasts, no longer having to turn our back on that, but being able to allow the mess to become our message, to hold that in the center of our lives, to be loved, to allow other people to love us in that space, and for us to become a community of people that say, there's not lines between us. There's not an us and there's not a them. Right? When I got into the program, there's all this kind of lines that were drawn to. Well, we don't talk to those folks from NA. <laughs> right? I mean, it happens everywhere, right? Right? Christians do it to, to other denominations and other religions. I mean, addicts. We just want to divide things up in the world. And Jesus shows up and says there's no division. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. You, you create a division, you will find Jesus on the long side of that division. Because Jesus is just not going to pick sides because love doesn't pick sides. Love wants to create community and a deep sense of belongingness. And in that belongingness, we get to grow together. I think at the end of the day, what Christian community basically is, is God creating a family that you never had? That, that, that God um, creating folks that when they see you go, oh, there you are, right? How you doing? 
That God creating a deep sense of an emotional response that begins to counterbalance and become a counter-narrative to that, I'm, I'm not good enough. I've got to do more. I can't share this if they only knew. And in Christian community where the love of God is, there's none of that fear. At the end of this text, it says that... Um, um, The whole town showed up at Peter's doorstep. The whole town. The whole friggin' town showed up with the demon-possessed folks, the folks that had powers in their lives that they could not control, folks that were sick. The whole town showed up. And I think that there's a world out there that's hungry for a kind of thing that happens in this place. A kind of vulnerability that happens, a kind of love that we get attached to, a kind of um, journey that we're on where it is not about perfectionism. God has no uh, um, um, time for that. That holiness is always couched in our ability, Jason's and my ability to share life together as honestly as we can. That's what holiness is. Holiness is the ability to to talk about the exact nature of my wrongdoing. Holiness is the ability to make a really bad mistake and come back and say, I was wrong. I used. I did this. I was out of line here. That's holiness. Holiness is not some kind of squeaky clean white t-shirt that you're not supposed to get dirty. Right? I mean, that's what religion says. Here's your t-shirt. Don't screw it up. You know, whoever has the whitest t-shirt at the end wins. That's crap, right? And and, and what we have to do is get our t-shirts dirty with vulnerability. Get our t-shirts dirty with serving each other and loving each other. And get our t-shirts dirty with listening to each other's story. Get our t-shirts dirty with showing up at each other's house saying, you haven't been here in a while, what's up? What it looks like for us to surrender our life and our will to the care of God is that new relationships get formed. A new family gets created. And you begin to believe that in the heart of hearts there's a love that exists that won't let you go. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. You know that? There's not a darn thing you can do about the love of God. It's just going to keep showing up. It's going to keep whittling against your defense systems. It's going to keep encouraging you to open your heart when you want to shut it. It's going to keep encouraging you to let resentments go. It's going to keep encouraging you to get honest. Because in all of that, the freedom of God is there. And God is freaking angling for your freedom. So anything that impedes that freedom, God just says, let's deal with. Let's go. Let's be a community of people that are just free. Because I think that's what the world wants. That's That's what I want. Right? At some point, we get tired of playing the games. The religious games, the recovery games, the relationship games. At some time, we'll just surrender and say, okay, God. Best I can do right here is this. 
And in this posture, God begins to move. Hmm. That's good stuff, isn't it? It's not good stuff because I said it. It's good stuff because God said it. God's in this place doing these things. Hmm. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. God, we thank you that you are a God that um, shows up in our lives when we are possessed by things that are too big for us, when we are sick and sometimes we can't even get there and we have to have another friend bring us. God, some of us hide our sickness better than others. But the truth is, is that none of us are healthy. The truth is that all of us need your love. The truth is, is that um, we need each other's love to uh, point us back to you. So God, I want to thank you that you use um, former um, demon-possessed addicts like us. (laughs) You, You use sick folks and folks that struggle with their own mental health issues. You hold folks that have a past, and you say, this is my tribe. These are my people. And in the midst of this place, I will display my love and my power and my tenderness and my compassion. And oh, God, in this place, may we become that. May we become who you are in this world, tendered compassion. May it set us all free. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.